If green is your favorite color or your way of living, then Grounded is the place for you. From big environmental solutions to your own backyard, wherever in the universe you may be, join me, Melanie Walker, on a journey to a cleaner, greener life. Grounded, your window on the environment. And welcome, yes, to another edition of Grounded with me, Melanie Walker. And back in studio with me after a long hiatus, finally managed to drag him kicking and screaming inside, because he usually spends most of his time either in a garden or on a golf course. It's Michael Rickoff, gardener and designer extraordinaire. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Mel? I'm, I'm fabulous, always. Long time. It has been. <laughs> what have you been up to? Oh, man. Um where do I start? Well, not golf. I can tell you that much. My golf is getting less and uh, my, my time out in the garden is getting more. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a good or bad thing, but a, a garden can never be a bad thing, can it? No, it's so, always good to be in a garden. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's been an interesting year that we've just had go past us because, you know, we had that lockdown. Yes. And uh, I was out of commission for 12 weeks, basically. I mean, there's 12 weeks where I really couldn't do anything. You weren't allowed to be out and about. And of course, college was closed. Mm. Um, and when college came back, we we just hit it with a vengeance. So we were lecturing on Saturdays, Sundays, practically seven days a week, lecturing to catch the full-time students up so that they could still finish their course in the year. And that's why I went out of commission completely, because I just wasn't available. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and then we still managed to get our show gardens uh, crammed in. Which is what I want to talk to you about today, yeah. about uh, yeah. the new trends, about what you've picked up in the last year. Since we haven't had much of a chance to talk about it, especially as gardening became such a, a thing for people to do, because they had no choice but to get into their gardens, because they couldn't really go anywhere else. Yeah, you know, and I, I, it's almost got to a case where, People initially couldn't go anywhere else, and now they aren't going anywhere else. <laughs> you know, it's become everyone talks about the great reset. And I wrote an article the other day for the show portfolio about the great reset, which I don't necessarily believe in. I believe in paradigms. Mm. Um, I, I just believe it happens all the time. We have these paradigm changes and shifts, and I think we've just been through another one. Um, we haven't really sort of necessarily stopped the earth and pressed a new button. Yeah. But I think people have changed the way they behave, just like they probably changed their way after the Great War, for instance. Um, and, and a lot of people I think are working from home and a lot of people have decided to work at home from, by choice mm. um, where, where they have the option of working from home or going to work and maybe before this happened they thought well you know I really like going into my office and now they're thinking you know I really like being at home <laughs> well the main you thing know. is of course then you don't have to deal with the traffic and the potholes <laughs> which is the main thing for me I'm yeah. quite happy to stay at home if I don't have to play dodgems yeah and it is well you know the point is I don't want to beat that drum, but the the point is, I think for the rest of us, I'm always on the road. Um, necessarily, I have to be there. So, mm. you know, so, so when I go to sites and whatnot, what I have noticed is the traffic has thinned. Mm. There's a definite uh, easing of the of my trips from site to site, for instance. So that's been a revelation for me, and I'm kind of enjoying it. You know, I haven't been stuck in a traffic jam for a while, except for the other day I was stuck in one where they were repairing potholes near Eagle Canyon. Okay. And then I was stuck. <laughs> but that was a good thing. Mm. But yeah, I think one of the trends, you start talking about trends, and you know me, I'm not necessarily a taker of trends. I like to believe that we in South Africa are pretty good at setting them if we want to. So I like to set them and I like to break them and I like to bend them around a little bit. I was actually thinking about that before we came in here this morning and saying, is it a case of South Africans are so heavily influenced by what's going on in the world, okay, that we feel that we should be following that trend because, of course, I mean, you know, Northern Hemisphere being kind of six months ahead of us, we take on what they did in their summer and bring it into what we do in our summer. 
Are South Africans still as slavish to that trend now? Or do you think that South Africans have now started to actually say, well, we're right on the other side of the world, so we're not going to do our thing? Are we going to become trendsetters or just slaves to fashion? Yeah, yeah, and this is something that I feel very strongly about, and it's become stronger and stronger in me, almost like the evangelizing about the bees. Mm. I've started to evangelize in my own, because I believe in it. I, I, I do believe the South Africans are a creative bunch. I think we have unique influences all of our own. Mm. And there's something called Afro-chic, which I've really grabbed hold of in the last year or two. Mm. And it's not necessarily, it's not following any trend at all. It's actually setting a trend all of our own. Now, Afro-chic exists in fashion and maybe interior design and all of that thing, but we've taken it into the garden now. And some of the gardens we've done with an Afro-chic flavor have blown people's minds. They've blown people away. And you won't find anything like this overseas. Mm. So in other words, it's not, it's not taking what people perceive as being African, whatever that is, it's taking something that we see as being in our DNA, in our in our blood, in the influences around us. And African design is not about thatched roofs and old logs standing up on end and crawls and, and, and all sorts of stuff. It's colorful and it's vibrant and it's incredibly sexy, mm. um, but it's got a modern influence. I, I like to think of it as Africa on the move because Africa is on the move and we don't allow ourselves always to believe that. We believe that we need to actually... First of all, see what everyone else in the civilized, if you don't mind, world is doing. Whereas people should really be following us because we've got something new to offer. And mm. that's the way I see it. I think they should be looking at us and saying, well, what have you got to give us that's exciting? Because surely it's becoming a bit mundane. Well, I felt it was becoming a bit mundane because we regurgitate in the same thing over and over again. And what we're really doing from a design perspective, mm. certainly from an educational perspective, is we're saying to our students, you need to start thinking differently and Africa has a personality and that needs to start being reflected. Part of it is our planting design, um, which you know you feel strongly about as well, Yeah, is we never believed that our indigenous flora was good enough. I don't understand it. You know, when I grew up, it, everything had to be exotic in your garden. You had to have a rose garden and you had to have all these Euro influences all over the place. It's getting to the point now where we're saying, hang on a second, we've got one of the best plant kingdoms in the world. What are we talking about? Mm. And let's actually put that into our gardens. And that has a whole lot of repercussions all on its own. So what goes into, in your mind, making up Afro-chic? I mean, when you say that we're not even, we've thrown the box away, okay? There yeah. is no box. It's not thinking outside the box anymore. Yeah, kick the box away, yeah. 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 Box is a, a European construct. It is a European construct, and I don't think we have one. I, I think Afro-chic is very much about, if we want to steal a concept from anywhere in the world, it should be the rewilding concept that's coming through from the UK. Mm. And the rewilding concept is something that gets me excited. Funnily enough, the main detractors of rewilding is actually conservationists, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, rewilding is about letting go and not touching it. Conservationists believe we have to interfere to conserve. Mm. And that, I think, is the big difference. And we in South Africa, importantly... We can embroider a don't touch philosophy into our gardens. And we've actually done one in show gardens, which is a very nice little corner. Mm. It's called Real Wilding. And the African influences that we have there, we have introduced upright gum poles, but they create form, not enclosure. Um, and then those gum poles are actually painted in nice patterns and then distressed, for instance. Mm. We've introduced shwe shwe patterns. Um, well, that's very much a South African thing. And I was very glad yeah. to see that coming through. I love shwe shwe. I think it's just yeah. one of the best things going. Yeah. The planting is very much uh, looking at things, things that are ours, things that belong to us. Uh, you know, we've got some beautiful wild grasses in this country, for mm. instance. We've got some beautiful trees in this country. We can look at the, the minute you start thinking about our planting being sexy, you start thinking eco straight away. Mm. Um, Afro chic, I think, is very sexy eco. Um, I think it has to be. I think we have to bring through our colors. 
like I say, we have to lose the concept of saying, what is African design? Is it traditional African? Mm -hmm. Well, then why isn't English design necessarily always ancient English? <laughs> it doesn't have to be. Mm. It can be modern African. So, so when I talk on Africa on the moves, I can talk about using all sorts of emblems. I can talk about all sorts of colors, but intelligent use of color. You see, there was this whole construct that people used to think, well, if you're going to make an African pattern, it has to be like Ndebele or whatever the case may be, and very colorful primary color geometry. Mm. And we're saying, well, why don't you break that down to something more modern and make the colors meaningful? So you're bringing through the russets, you're bringing through the blacks and the whites, um, you're bringing through the soft blues and the pastels into an Afro-chic, and then you're popping color, um, like a shui shui accent, into the garden. And I don't know if you've been to Victoria Yards. I was actually thinking, when you were talking about this, yeah. I'm sitting and thinking, yes, I finally did get to Victoria yeah. Yards a couple of months ago. And my goodness, yes, walking around there, you get that feeling of actually being in an African space yeah. instead of being in a European space, apart from the fact that the entire thing is like plants, normal flowering plants, but then also everything is interplanted with vegetables. Edible. It's all edible. Yeah. But but the thing is, there, there is a shop there that, um, I think it's called African Art or something, I can't mm. remember, it's a beautiful shop. But then you get these things that are made out of papier-mâché, you know, like giraffe heads or whatever the case may be, but they're in these amazing colors. They, they've been done with an amazing papier-mâché overlay, um, for instance, and these things are just incredibly sexy. Now, that's not traditional African art, that's Africa on the move. Africa taking its own symbols and making them modern, and making them contemporary, mm. and giving them that look and feel that you're not going to find anywhere else in the world. It's not touristy. You know, this is the problem. This is, the, I think, the mistake we all make. The minute we think we have an African influence in our garden, it has to be tourist-orientated. Boma, that roof. Exactly. A uh, couple of totem poles of sort. <laughs> it's not where we're going. And, I, and I, I do think that it's been exciting for us to actually take this new concept and actually develop it. And we, we ourselves are trying to get our head around it. And I just challenge anyone, if you want to know what Afro-Chic is and you want to get excited, go and Google Afro-Chic. And I think it'll blow your mind. Mm. I mean, you know, just these straw, almost like placemat or shallow basket things. I saw a whole wall decorated in the other en masse, but they were decorated as a swathe across the wall. Now that's Afro-chic. Mm. You know, that's taking something African-influenced, but it's putting a modern bend on it. I actually saw, I think, something like that up at like Harry's Pancakes up near Dahlstrom. I went into one of those places and you're talking about those the plastic wire, the outside of the wire, copper wire, that plastic, which we all used to play with as kids. Yeah, it could, be, it could be grasses. It and could it was be those whatever, lovely yeah. shallow bowls, yes, exactly. and a whole wall full of them. And it looks fantastic. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah. And that's why Victoria Yards, I mean, if you ever need to get inspiration for Afro Chic, that's definitely the place to go and buy stuff as well because they really have all the not, um, as you said, touristy stuff like you would find probably in Rosebank. Yeah. I find myself getting quite frustrated. I would go from Dahlstrom to Clarence. I would go from Clarence to, say, for instance, through Golden Gate or whatever the mm. case may be. And every time I stopped at a stall, it had, well, I've seen this before. Mm. And we allowed ourselves to start hand-making mass-produced stuff, if, if that makes any sense whatsoever. So handcrafted beads but it it almost like everything was the same mm. and I, I i kind of i'm sensing that going away to an extent i think the tourist thing is going to stay it has to but i've I, I almost felt that with lockdown people started to actually think a little bit differently and i have seen some guys coming up with craft that okay that kind of amazes me you know what made you think of that so I think there's a mind shift. There's been a paradigm mind shift, I think, in African design as well. And I like to think that we're part of that. 
Mm. Yeah. No, I've seen some wonderful, I mean, wire sculpture for me. I sit and I watch these guys and I don't know how they do it. And I mean, they, they sell their stuff so cheaply. The amount of work and, and ingenuity and yeah. skill that goes into creating a lot of these things, we think, oh, it's just somebody on the side of the road. Need to look at it again and think, okay, fine, this actually is proper art. And yeah. I'm, I'm loving the fact that, you know, South African art is, has become, we're not talking about the Pierinevs, we're talking about Esther Machlangu, a, a number of other people who are coming through. Or even Washington on the street corner, there's a guy, his name is Washington. Yes. And I met him and he made a rooster for me out of beads. And then I said to him, can you make one that looks like it's been made out of scribbles? And he made this wire rooster for me that looked like it had been, but it's all wire scribbles. And this the form of this thing and the, he just painted it like high gloss black for instance and mm. I've got it at home and I love this thing and every time I walk past it I think to myself you know this would be a, a, a designer element in anybody's garden mm. this is no longer a touristy item this is and you know what go to these guys and say to them I've got something that I need you to make for me and you'd be surprised what they'll deliver to you yeah. you know I always say in my designs I like to have something unique in every garden well there's your opportunity <laughs> you know as you say don't rip the guys off mm. you know I, I was at um, we went to Paris the other day and they had the big market next to the river and once again, I went into one of the shops and it was all this laser cut super wooden stuff. And that's not African stuff. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I went to the market next to the river and then this guy had these beautiful paintings and I offered him money for these paintings. And the person I was with said, um, how much will you give us if we buy two? And I said, exactly what it would have given us if I'd bought one and multiplied by two. Because I said, why would you want to try and get it cheaper? Pay the man his due. You know what I mean? And I think we should all actually just go with that. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more on that. So when it comes to plants… What kind of plants are you talking about when it comes to Afro-chic plants? I mean, we immediately, I will always think aloes, okay, as the first very African, South African kind of um, stopgap. And we, I think we all grew up with rockeries somewhere in our gardens when we were young, especially here on the high felt. So what else, what other plants? I mean, my second plant, of course, is always going to be. Sex on stalks, agapanthus. So we do, we have the most incredible plants and I think people are finally starting to think, hang on a second, or maybe the growers have been growing them so that they don't look as scruffy as people perceive indigenous or endemic plants to be. Yeah, you know, the scruffiness is our own fault. Um, I I find people will take agapanthus and say, well, it's an African plant, so it must be tough. I'll put it on my my most neglected pavement and never water it and never look after it. Well, Mm. You know, most plants don't like that. Even succulents don't just like that, you know. So so sometimes we're our own problem. But I think you're right. I, I think everybody does that. I, I don't like over-hybridizing all the time. I would like to get to these, you know, where, where's the original plant? What did it really look like? Mm. It wasn't boring, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I also think that we tend to look at succulents and, and aloes and things like that and say they are iconic to us, and probably they are. But I'll give an example of an Afro-chic element we did in show gardens. It was a modern take on a rockery. So what it was, it was gabions filled with pebbles mm-hmm. with the alice planted in them. And that was a totally different take on a rockery because there's that modern contemporary element to it. You know, it was more organized. Mm. It was a big organized centerpiece with tree alice planted in it. And then my favorite, of course, is all the grasses. I love the ornamental grasses. I, I love to plant them everywhere. And alice and grasses just go so well together. And that's a magnificent feature. But if we move away from the aloes and the succulents, you start to look at the wild grasses and you start to look at the things like the buddleias and, as you say, the agapanthus and all that kind of plant where you're starting to say, well, it's a lovely ecospace. You create a, a wetland feature and you've got your juncuses and your allegias and you've got your uh, fever trees and stuff like that, which is exactly what we've done this year. We've said we've got a wetland type space and we've got a drier type butterfly bee, mm. owl, bird type garden. So when you talk about Afro-chic, Afro-chic I don't think is a – it's not limited to one thing. 
I think we have choices. And that's what's becoming more exciting. You might want a monochromatic Afro chic garden, mm. and I want my, uh, might, a super, uh, might want a super color Afro chic garden. The two will look totally different, but they will be undeniable of African influence. Mm. But we need to call that shot. We, I think we need to set that trend because there isn't one to take. It's up to us to set it. Mm. How are you going to convince people to do that, Michael? Get them excited. And I, and I think that's why in show gardens we shouted from the rooftops. We did our first Afrochic balcony last year and then we got closed down for the, for the lockdown. Mm. But Tanya Fisser from Gardener saw it and that was the garden from last year that got her the most excited. It was the one garden she was actually putting on Facebook and the one garden she was like standing in front of going, wow, and taking pictures. Mm. It was a double balcony with Afrochic influence. It had some traditional African pots in it. It had some shoo bags in it. Um, is it the one that had the poster? It had posters in it. Those wonderful posters that you used to see like if you were driving around in KZN and yeah, stop off at the local store. Yeah, Correct. And that's another thing I think should make a comeback. And some of the posters we used in show gardens last year were posters from the Second World War, for instance, for like, you know, Dig for Victory and that kind of thing. So we had them printed high-quality canvas and we put them on walls all over the place and people just stopped and looked at them and thought, wow, those look so groovy. And I, I think the bottom line is it's, we've got access to all of this. Mm. Why, why not bring something from the UK and put it as a visitor in our Afrochic garden and say, you know what, we're still part of this. Um, mm. You know, my heritage is still part of this, very much so, but my heritage is embedded in this heritage. It's, it's not as though I want to impose Eurocentric influences on every garden I do. In fact, that's the last thing I want to do. But this is getting back to it again as well, because I mean, we have so many, we have such a diverse melting pot of cultures here in South Africa. That yeah. We've always heard that. It's been for years and years we've heard that. So would a lot of people overseas say about us as European descendants who are nothing else except African, actually, even though we may have been from European descent, about the appropriation of African culture? Because it isn't naturally our culture. Our culture is pretty much, you know, the cottage gardens and the formal design, et cetera, et cetera, because that's what it's perceived to be for us as European Africans. Yeah. I mean, my answer to them might say, well, why were you imposing your culture on me? Um, I was kind of born here. Um, you were kind my, of born here or was, you were born here? I was here? <laughs> kind of born here. My father was born here. We've been here. You know, the bottom line is maybe we just never allowed ourselves to accept that Africa was coming into us. It was almost an osmosis thing mm. that we all had this in our DNA. I mean, how many times do you not travel around and you stop and look at something and say, wow, how beautiful is that? And it's African. And, and it's something we appreciate and it's something that we can take in and something we understand. And I think we understand whether we like it or not and whether we actually choose to be conscious of it. We love our African influences. Mm. Um, and I think the minute I started designing using um, Afrocentric influences in my designs and then then eventually got, got got hold of this whole thing about Afro chic. I thought to myself, that's just down my alley because you know what? I love chic. I love I love setting trends. I love not following everybody else. And here's my best opportunity because nobody else out there is actually doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought we were doing it, but we weren't doing it. And I, I, I see it is bleeding through. I, see, I think in a lot of our designs, it's unconsciously becoming a factor that we're looking at ways of creating gardens that are African gardens, but with a definite twist. And I think this is something that we need to do when we get a Chelsea, for instance, and we represent ourselves. We need to actually take a step up to the plate and we need to actually do something that's a little bit more us and a little bit more progressive and a little bit. And and this is not a criticism. I think we've always done wonderful gardens at Chelsea and, and I still think we do. I'm just saying 
you know, we, we really need to actually recognize something different within ourselves. And it really has to be the Africa on the move concept. And it's mm. not just about our flora. And this is the problem. It's not just about us saying, we are going to brag about our plants. We're going to brag about our floral kingdom. It's about us saying, we're going to brag about our creative streak. We're going to brag about the level of creativity we can exhibit. And that maybe other people will just take a lead from us for a change. Well, it's quite interesting. Yeah, at Chelsea, you go and you have a look and you see some of the Australian exhibits, trail finders generally. The most magnificent gardens. I mean, the, the Australians really have taken what they've got and made it work for them in a European context as well as, I mean, because it is kind of very much Eurocentric down there as well, surprisingly, but they've made it they're very much their own. And they're not afraid to take it out there and say, this is what Australia is about. And I mean, some of their designs have been far thinking. They've got the, some of the most incredible designers coming out of Australia as well. Why is South Africa having such a problem with doing what they've been doing? Why are we letting them tr- – like, we won't let them beat us at cricket and rugby, will we? Yeah, and this is the thing. I, I, I don't know if we've let them do it or if we've not allowed ourselves to actually believe that we have our own subculture. Mm. This is something that we're making a lot of noise about at the moment. And every time I have any sort of a meeting with any of the landscapers or any of the associations or whatever, and even in college – this is the new drum I'm beating um, because I believe the, the drum has to be beaten. I, I, I believe, I think you're right, Melanie. I think mm. that you, you've recognized that we've had, we've had either a Eurocentric influence in this garden or we've had a, an Afrocentric traditional influence in this country. But you know what? There are a lot of South African-born designers, black and white and colored and Indian, you name it, who are out there finding our own identity and, and I think it's exciting this is the yeah. thing I mean you sit there and you think okay fine we've got a whole group of different people now we have somebody who's Indian for instance who's not designing a garden immediately people are going to sit there and think oh I should be doing an Islamic garden because that is my culture <laughs> that kind of thing Whereas, I mean, if you go overseas and you look at the Japanese, I mean, people here are creating Japanese and, and Chinese gardens, which is not really even vaguely part of their culture a lot of the time. But it's something that we can really appreciate and may speak to us. So I don't think, I mean, yes, people will try and put people into boxes, which is what I'm saying, throw the box away. You say, well, you're, why, why have you got a Zen garden if you're not Chinese? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, I, I've been consulting with a lady in uh, Bryanston. And she said to me, Mike, I want a garden that has an oriental piece about it with an African influence. Mm. Now, that's a hell of a mandate. But you know what? It's a mandate that's worth looking at because think about it. Why, if, if I'm crazy about oriental gardening and specifically, say, Japanese gardening, why can't I do it in a South African or African context? Why, why does it always have to be textbook where I'm looking at the textbook and I'm you know, is there such a thing as a pure design influence anymore? That's the question. No. Um, and I don't believe there is. I believe everything's a bit of fusion. So, you know, one of the things we're looking at with um, Afro-chic or Afrocentric type gardening is that there's fusion involved. Mm. And, and I think the other thing that we South Africans have always tried to, or always allowed ourselves to believe is that we are takers of trends. Um, you know, we get these trends document from Europe and say, right, let's read the trends document. Well, what's the color of the year? What's this? What's that? What's, and well, why should I have a color of the year, for instance? Mm. Why, why must I be a slave to that? And I might say, well, you know what? I'd like to do exactly the opposite of what you're telling me to do. Maybe it's just about being bloody-minded, or maybe it'll just because we surprise you. This year, pink is in again. Forget the gray so. and yellow. We're not interested. But uh, I mean, it, it is a case of sitting there and thinking, what is Zen? Okay, you say to me, a lady who wants a Zen garden with an African influence, I immediately think of my Zen as being grasslands. Yeah. When you're 
out there in the grassland and it's just this susurration of grasses in the wind. That for me is Zen, but she probably wouldn't see that as being a Zen garden. I think what she would see probably, and I'm talking now under correction, but what she would see is it must be not fussy. Mm. Um, the space must be important. It mustn't be claustrophobic. You know, that's what Zen's all about. Zen's finding peace. So it must the garden must embrace you. You must feel comfortable in the garden. In fact, the way I always see Zen is it's almost exclusion, but it's more seclusion. So it's that kind of place where you can just be you mm. um, and that you feel peace in that garden. And I think Zen to me is, it means a whole number of different things to a whole number of different people. My Zen and your Zen might be different Zens. Mm. But they, it's peace. It's, it's just now and then it happens. Now and then. <laughs> <laughs> so the show gardens are still on until? End of May. End of May. And there are gardens that flow one into the other. It's not all separate rooms like in the olden days. So you can, you can have a look at little bits of it and how you can take that and incorporate it into your space at home with a little bit of thought. Well, what we've done this year, which is very important, is we've created a whole lot of small balconies, and they are proper balconies. Where mm. I mean, they're not up in the sky or anything, but if you look at it, you'll say, well, what can't I do in a balcony? I can't dig. Mm. <laughs> you know? So we're saying, well, if you have that space, this is what you can do. Or if you have a patio that's small, this is what you can do. You can have a patio with a small garden or a patio with a larger garden. Um, you can have a patio set within a garden that actually has two levels, which has it's another exciting thing we've done this year is we've created what we, we're calling our Zoom room which is a whole patio dedicated to people working from home and having a backdrop, for instance. And I think it's a very comfortable space. In fact, I've seen people posting pictures of themselves on Facebook, sitting in that, uh, in that Zoom room. Mm. It, is, it is a garden that flows. It's a garden that you can actually go from one room to another. Um, there's a lot of hydro zoning involved. So in every space we've created, we've been responsibly water-wise. So we've got a garden that's only about water plants, and right next door to it you've got a, well, I say garden, it's actually a balcony, a balcony that's only water-wise, and then right next door to it you've got a balcony that's only dry succulents. Yeah, so escaping. Just showing you that, yeah, so it's showing you the total difference between the two. And in their way, they're both water-wise, mm. you know, because there's this um, little bit of a fallacy, I guess you could say, that water-wise is about not using water. Well, it's not. It's about using water intelligently. A low-water garden and a water-wise garden are not necessarily the same thing. So we've tried to show that as well, that you group your plants intelligently, you are being responsible and you are being water-wise. And people always, for some reason, believe that the minute you talk about a water-wise garden, it's an arid garden. Yeah, no. <laughs> and it's not necessarily Not necessarily true. so. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if you, need, if you are needing some inspiration for what to do and you, you do want to bring in your own culture into your space, then I think definitely go and have a look at the gardens if you're up in Johannesburg. It really is worthwhile. I enjoyed it walking around with you and like chatting about. I couldn't be heard. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And then we had the great thought afterwards. Why didn't Michael just speak into his phone while we were doing the Zoom thing? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes we get too smart, but um, the gardens are like that, Mel. And I think there's something in there for everybody. Mm. I think if you go there, you are going to surprise yourself. I think there's a lot of excitement. I know that I've had excitement from some of the media. There's been a lot of excitement. I received a call just this morning from uh, one of the media who said to us, can we please come use some of your material in our, um, in our publication because mm-hmm. it's just so exciting. And when somebody tells us rewilding is exciting, um, we've done some sexy, incredible paving design this year as well. And we've actually also written an article on that. And by the way, speaking of articles, the portfolio is out, mm-hmm. what they call the garden guide of the portfolio. And it's for free. And it's high quality, and it's incredibly beautiful this year. So 
come, come and get a copy. And I actually think it's available online. I haven't mistaken. seen it online. You'll have to give us the um, link if it is. Yeah, I don't know. So okay. I, I would have to check that out. Well, it's all very exciting and, of course, always wonderful talking to you because you're just really inspirational and you do think about things in a completely different way. No boxing at all from Michael. <laughs> no, no, we don't like boxers. I, I, I think the other thing is, Mel, we're carrying on just to prove the point that we, we're not trendy. Mm. And I think you and I have always agreed on that when we started our guerrilla gardening trip all those years ago and we started our bee trip all those years ago. And, and we started the vertical planting all those years ago. And the vertical planting all those years ago and it's still going strong and, you know, it's still controversial. <laughs> it's, we're not, it doesn't matter. Wouldn't say trendy is not the word. We're not faddish. We're not faddish, yeah. So the whole thing about this, one of the central things in the garden design this year and that's influenced directly by us is the bee thing. We're not letting it go. There are still problems with the bees. Um, we're not getting mm. it right. Um, but I think that a lot of people are becoming more conscious of it. Um, so when you go through the gardens, you're going to see there are, there are, there are bee influences everywhere. The plants are for the bees. Um, even the children's garden has got this whole series of moon gates with a, um, a, a mister in it. And, and the colors of the moon gates are the, are the colors of the bee. Um, so it's it's all the time reinforcing, even if it's just a subconscious thing, just saying, please don't forget the bees. Just don't mm-hmm. stop thinking about them. Yeah. And let that be our final message. Thank you very much, Michael. And uh, we will catch up with you again, hopefully soon. And you can tell us what projects you've got going before we hit winter time. And hopefully not another lockdown. Sure thing. Always a pleasure. You've been listening to another episode of Grounded from Solid Gold Studios in Johannesburg. For more green ideas and events, pop along to Mel's Treasures on Facebook. Facebook.